Playoff time is when things start getting serious on the court. Players are more driven than ever to win these big games and keep advancing. Goodyear knows all about being more driven, too. Working hard to help you advance on and off the road. Let Goodyear.com help you choose what's best. Give me a word there. Oh, sure, right. sure. I'll take, uh, what did you guys order already? Uh, I'm going to have lox eggs and onions soft. Brown, tomato, or cottage cheese? Uh, just tomatoes, please. Neither. Try the... This del, deli omelet sounds good. Can I add tomato to that, though? Yeah. On the side? Uh, sure, on the side's fine. Whatever. And what kind of cheese do you like for dinner? Uh, what do you, what do you think is best? Swiss is good. Swiss? I'll do Swiss, yeah. And toast or bagel, my God. I'll go wheat toast, please. Thank you so much. Oh, okay. Let me, I got to do this thing now. Okay. So, I, uh, what are we talking about? Just everything? Yeah, we're talking about everything. everything. You know, it's okay. I mean, yeah, quite. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Hoop Collective. I'm Kevin Arnimitz in Beverly Hills at Nathan Alice Delicatessen. Um, not which, getting paid. Not getting paid, but what, what did you call it? Max and Herbs? I think I called it Max and Irma's, yeah. Close. Or Max right? and Herbs. You know what I meant. Yes, just two <laughs> Jewish guys' names. And... Max and Herbs. Right. Um, it's funny, I left the hotel and I was like, where's Max and Irma's? And he's like, I don't think there is a... I was like, it's really famous. There's got, you know my you know Max and Irma's. I'm like angry at the guy. He doesn't know. Oh, my God. So, uh, Daryl Morey is the general manager of the Houston Rockets, just for the sake of introduction. Hello. Kevin Arnovitz is the master of obscure topics in the NBA. <laughs> Which we will delve into obscura today. Um, season's going well. So far, so good. They, they make us play 82. I wish we could which, stop which I right have now. an issue. Yeah, I know. I, I've now settled on Premier League style. Two game, two two matches with every 29, 58 games. Done, 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 and done. I'm, I, no I'm divisions. Why have divisions? We did that for travel and rivalry. That doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, could you, uh, 1 through 16, games. the playoffs? Do we worry about Miami versus Portland round one? Uh, I would have fewer playoff teams, but... Can fewer. I do that? Yeah, that's fewer, oh, yeah. That's fewer gate. That's fewer. That's fewer owners who get to yeah, see. Yeah, you could do like the. You could do Simmons Super Play in right. tournament. Yeah, I love the do Super that. Play-in tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's going on with Pace? What is going on with Pace? I know. I think. I think someone looked at like the slowest pace team this year would have been the highest pace team. There's something crazy like that. Now there's a cascading effect. Like by virtue, even if you're a slow team playing a fast team, obviously your number is going to go up. I think up. it's a little misleading because. Uh, the way they measure pace is really affected by offensive rebounding. Uh, not the way we do it, but the way they do it publicly. And I think a lot of teams are punting offensive rebounds, so that, that speeds up pace as well. Um, so I don't know if it's exactly right. If you could go back and measure it the right way, both 
there's, there's a place where it levels off, right? Because there's just there's only so we we can't keep going at. It's going to be. I mean, a Nate stick. McMillan has his players running down right. the court. That I mean, that that a, is a modern the, day miracle. That is the canary in the mine that everyone is going to be playing up tempo. But it's not going to go to oh one ten one twenty because there's only you, it still takes a human being a few <laughs> seconds to get a you're, ball across the court. Only you would probably measure Usain Bolt's speed. And then multiply it by the number of possessions just to see what the theoretical maximum is. Of like if everybody even intentionally shot the second they got a half court, that's still not more than 120. <laughs> I guess you could get the rebound and heave it. Right. Um, I was thinking about Mike. It's, it's hard to have this conversation without thinking about Mike D'Antoni. Oh, you could speed up pace. You could just get the rebound and throw it out of bounds. Yes. I mean, over and over, each team could just get and it and throw it out of bounds. Bring that it up would, to that 140. That would set the record, yeah. He, um, it, it's funny because. You guys are now at a respectable 8th, ninth, or 10th. They're not so much respectable, but down there, what, what, what like... What pace, you mean? Or? Yeah, like, mm. but it's hard to have this conversation without thinking about Mike. I think we're a little bit higher. I mean, yeah, just the way we measure pace is going to have to... It's not standardized because it's not really settled how to do it. Um, you know, we get, we get a good shot quicker than any team, but we don't get the ball up the floor as fast as other teams. So, yeah, I guess... You know, that settles us in about eight. So he seems to be having fun. Mike, oh yeah, he's unbelievable. Yeah, he's so so good. And you know, when when everything's sort of working, obviously it's fun. You know, we're gonna have our tough times this year, but we haven't haven't really hit them yet. So, do we think he's the most influential tactician of his time? Hmm. I mean, who will we? Say I would say in that. I would say yes in terms of just other teams are now doing what he was doing, you know, mid, you know, mid two thousands with Phoenix. But when did this become the smart way to play? Like when did it officially get? I think, I think it was when when you didn't play this way, you you lose. <laughs> so but when did that happen? I mean, that was sort of feels like last year or two. Right. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is relatively new. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um. How did you come to his hire? Like, what, what was that? Let's go back to that process because yeah, I think we were looking at two profiles of coaches. Because you looked um, at like guys like Stephen Silas, who I know you like yeah. a lot. Um, yeah, we had two profiles. We had a good team. I think you know we always we like the sort of concept of of a Brad Stevens type hire, like someone who you could. Maybe a little younger profile, who you could hire and have your be your coach for thirty years, like Popovich or whatever. Um, or we were looking for experienced coaches, and very early in the process, Mike was the guy. We were going to go experienced. He was the guy. We we talked to a few coaches. Mike stood way out there because we had we had looked to hopefully hire him the last two times we had openings, but he was already gainfully employed, so it didn't work. Uh, and then, you know, incorrectly for the league, um, he, you know, he wasn't in demand at the time, and that was obviously a mistake by the league. I think the league got fooled by, you know, him not having personnel that fit him at the Lakers and the Knicks. Uh, so we could take our time, so we did. Um, so we settled on Mike as the experienced hire, and then we, we spent... A while looking at up and coming guys like Steven Silas and um, and uh, you know after, you know when we got to the end of the process we decided our team's too good to really 
really go with the young up-and-coming profile. Playing about the Brad Stevens, and, and for that matter, who can be a pop. Nobody knows a pop until they're pop, right? Like exactly. We had hoped to interview and find someone that we felt like this is the guy for sure we'll, we'll have as our coach for 30 years. And, um, you know, we just didn't. And to be fair, like, a lot of the guys we interviewed could have been that guy. You just don't know. And we we, we, we ended up going the the route that we felt was better for an experienced team. What did James tell you he wanted? Um, James was pretty out of the process. I mean, I think uh, obviously, you know, teams try to act like their best players aren't involved in things, but the reality is best players are involved to some level in everything, whether it be a, you know, hey, I want this, or just a tacit like, hey, I'm good with it, but I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to step in here. I'm just going to, if that makes sense. But I'm so. sure there, at some point, during every coaching search around the league, there might be a star who says, "Hey, I hear that guy's an asshole." I mean, you have to listen to that. With I Mike, think, it's probably not an issue. I think, um, you know, with Mike, both publicly, publicly, there was, uh, <laughs> there was. Um, concern about Mike's last two stops and I think one thing that really helped with Mike when we you know when it looked like it might be going that way James having had experience with him with the USA basketball team was very helpful because uh, he and he and Mike had a good relationship and uh, when it when it looked like it was going that route um, you know James was curious about all the options and but he said hey if it ends up being Mike I I feel great about that. I worked with him. So. It was just kind of an odd thing with New York and L.A. because he went from being a guy who players love to play for to this, these sort of bad fits. Sure. Probably more personnel, as far as I'm concerned, more personnel-oriented than anything right, else. Right, right. Um, how do you make hires? I, mean, so I was thinking about this. Forget coaching. How does a GM hire a scout? Like, like <laughs> This is a question I was thinking about the other day. Like, we, we obviously know what the coaching process is like, or at least we think we do. But... How do you hire a scout? Like, mm-hmm. what, 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 what credentials? They, they show you, like, a book? Do they give huh. you your, like, they did advanced work? Do they show you those game prep? Like, what, yeah. what on it's how a really good you... question, yeah. Um, well, I think step one is to figure out what what's the area that you want to buff up your knowledge. Let's say pro personnel. Data and experience. Okay, so if it's for pro personnel, um, you know, for, you know, obviously that's going to be more important in free agency and, and trades then um, we tend to like a younger profile uh, I would say we're trying to why was it because young guys have motors is it because yeah I was about oh, they don't yes. have to unlearn things that are no longer true yeah no I'll, yeah um, I would say it's a couple things one is we're just looking for high upside hires in general so like we don't mind hiring someone and then they turn out to be great and then get sometimes get hired away because we can't have unlimited number of people forever um so that tends to be a younger profile we tend to try and look for people who can fill in the gaps where data isn't isn't going to help us as much um so people who have recent networks into you know which players are the ones with good habits which players are the ones uh you know who are good um in terms of you know working with younger players, helping them develop things like that. Um, so I would say 
you know, we, again, that skews younger because, you know, as you get older, your, your networks tend to get older, right? And right. they're not as plugged in. So uh, we don't tend to pay a whole lot. So that, <laughs> that Wait, can I ask you one skews question? us younger. One yeah. of the big things I've heard about scouts, uh, from scouts about the Houston Rockets, is for years you didn't let them keep their miles. <laughs> That's or true, their points on their hotels That's and true. Flights. What the hell was that about? <laughs> Um, that was a that was a ownership thing. I think that's different now. So, so you know, um, it's, it's now official. We can tell the scouting world you can keep your points and maintain your <laughs> your airline status. Anyone, and, any scout thinking about coming here and is worried about that won't get hired by us anyway. So, oh, I'd be worried about that, and I'd be good. Okay, so you're yeah. not getting hired. I'm probably not Houston Rockets yeah. material. We'll have to find someone ninety five percent as good as you who doesn't care about his points. <laughs> you know, you're talking about. Evaluating that's players. really funny you knew that, though. No, it's, it's a thing. That's I mean, this really, is a thing that's around really the league awesome. is the Rockets don't let you keep your points. <laughs> I and, actually think that's a good filter for us now. Any any scout in the NBA... Wait, 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 hold on. I'm, I'm going to contest this for a second. <laughs> okay. You want people to find value. Like, like here's the thing. Those points... No, I want people who care value. about the NBA and not not their mileage points. <laughs> I, these, these two things are not mutually exclusive. But we'll, we'll set this one aside. Yeah. Um, We're probably not going to agree on that one. But, so, I mean, one of the things in terms of player evaluation is behavioral economics has become a thing. And it's easy to say you're implementing it. Uh, it, it, it's, but it's hard to do well. When we look back in 20 years, if we, if you and I read Nudge by mm-hmm. Robert Thaler, Thaler Cass- yeah. right? If we, if we read that in 20 years, how would it be dated? I think it's Nudge. No, I'm sorry. What did I say? <laughs> you said Nudge, nudge like right. like they're annoying. They are nudge. a little annoying. The nudges are very no, nudge. nudgy. At I, I, times. I just used the Yiddish pronunciation. It's Nudge. <laughs> Not nudge. All right. When we read Nudge, Nudge. <laughs> When we read that in 20 years, what's going to be dated about it? Uh, hmm. Because invariably, every book seems a little bit dated. Sure. I think his is pretty relevant still. Um, he's updated it to talk about sludge now, which I think is good, which is people people abusing nud, nudge nudge concepts for evil, right? Like the game, game designers who are... In, you know, throwing microtransactions in and ways that people don't realize how much it's stacking up. But well, I mean, basically, Facebook would be the best example. I mean, maybe a conversation we don't want to go through, but but as far as exploiting behavioral psychology for material ends, I well, don't, here's the thing: I think it's dumb about that. Everyone's like, oh, they're they they're gamifying it. They're 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 using psychology to get people to buy their product. Well, yeah, welcome to capitalism. Well, no. That's been going on forever. Yes, but I, everyone's always tried to make their products be addictive, have addictive properties, all this kind of stuff. So th- there's nothing new there, in my opinion. No, there's nothing new. I, I just think that value alignment's a real thing. And if you're Facebook and you want, you could order that that feed any way you want it, right? Like sure. It, like look. The Facebook feed didn't wasn't birthed in nature. Sure, no, it, it it's didn't, been refined it was, a thousand right, times. Right, it's been refined, and, and those refinements are based on certain precepts and certain mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. And you could, like, your feed looks the way it does for various reasons. It could sure. look completely different. And it would for sure. In fact, no, I love the people who do those experiments. You like follow some really nasty, like, underbelly of the internet sites, and then. Like within one day, their whole feed is like, you know how, um, you know, 
the the real. I mean, I don't want to go into it in here, but the, you know, the nasty underbelly comes out. Yeah, so. well, I mean, which is essentially, but it does have ramifications, and I do think it's not. While I also say, yeah, it's capitalism. Right. It's also okay to hold entities accountable for right. their behavior, and, and that's that's. I just do think it. there's something too, and other people have said this better than me. You know, journalism, which basically. Facebook is basically a news site, more or less, had built up, like, for years and years and years, all these standards, to, you know, to stop, because journalism, when it started, was really nasty, right? And, and yellow journalism, I mean, you know, I mean, William Randolph first and, and yeah, Arrow's hardly... People would, people would write in as pseudonyms, as bashing people, and I mean, it was nasty. I, do, I think we tend to overpraise and, and, and have revisionism when it comes to the state journalism. Of journalism was nasty, yes. and then... They developed, like, a professional standard, mostly because it consolidated into a few, you know, basically mega entities. And, you know, we had a detente for a long time where people acted more or less professionally. Now we're back to where we were, basically, so. Yeah, it's just, you know, my issue is I think people talk like Facebook just exists in a state of nature. Whereas, hey, if it's a news source, as you say, and you're valuing, you know, objectively false news over objectively true news like right. I, I think there needs to be an accountability there um, you you are you are actually not offering what you at least imply you are offering right right but uh, it's not that bad of a podcast little man it's all right this conversation last year and I was thinking about your trajectory as a as a GM and, and it's I've had various incarnations of this conversation but it, it was something to the effect of I used to fucking hate Daryl now I really like him wow among your counterparts hmm. and and I do think there was you were the barbarian at the gate and now you're sort of in some respects the incumbent and how has your relationship changed with these guys? I mean, just even your battery of phone calls in 2008 versus today. Um, yeah, I think it's very positive. I mean, I feel like I I learned from them, and the conversations go well. And so, yeah, I don't know. I probably don't have a great, <laughs> great answer to your question. Um, well, let me ask you. You know, folks are a little bit younger. I mean, so. A little bit closer in age, so. Do you sense they? I've gotten I've gotten older, right? (laughs) So, yeah. But do you sense they like you more? No, I mean I think it'd be hard. Everyone's very, everyone's very cordial at worst to friendly at best with everyone because, you know, you have to work with, you know, the other twenty nine always. So, it would be self defeating for any of us to really dislike or not work with someone else so 
I've never really had an issue. Um, maybe they privately hated me. <laughs> I don't know. No, so I hope not. It's, it's, un, it's unthinkable that anybody would, behind someone's back in the NBA, actually rip Oh, that would never kids. happen, yeah. Uh, it's always very above board. <laughs> I'm, I'm always curious how teams picking far down in the draft come to a, a consensus. I was thinking about Clint Capella the other day. Because, A, you know, big men are actually proving to be less valuable than I think we ever thought they would be. And yet, you know, so it's always surprising to me when you guys go big. Mm -hmm. And it obviously worked. What what was that? You're picking at 25. What did you see in Capella? Yeah, so I think... Not so much... Let me me revise this. I know his attributes as a player. I know what you guys saw. I think I know what you're getting In terms of the decision-making. Right. I think I know you're getting it. I think what helped us with Capella is he came over and was really bad at the Hoop Summit. And I think there wasn't a ton in his history that you could really go on. He was in a not-a-great league. And, you know, he wasn't... I mean, you, you know, his free throws weren't great. His, there was a lot to go, huh, I'm not sure about this kid. He looks, you know, he's not huge. Like he's 6'9", you know, he's not... So there was a lot to say, huh? And then when uh, when there was a very public data point of like, okay, some of my fears look like they might be real with this kid. Like when he plays against better competition, he's not as good. That, I think, really helped us. Um we were one of the few teams that actually got a workout. Now, we don't put a ton of weight on those, but I do feel like, you know, we got to get him into some of our measurables on explosiveness and things like that that was maybe an edge for us. Um, yeah, and then, you know, he he definitely stood out at that, at that pick. We were pretty settled on Clint if he made it to us. We actually didn't think he was going to make it to us, so... Could you make the argument that if you're a scout going to Portland for Hoop Summit, if every year you actually identified guys who underperformed at Portland versus overperformed, you'd actually be better off? I don't think that pattern holds. That's the problem with our jobs. Like, I'd love to... Whenever you try to go and say, oh, I found a pattern, something breaks it. I'm right. now. Insofar as I guess what I'm saying is people invest too much in the 45 minutes they get to see of a guy at a specific moment in time. Maybe, but to be fair, they also see him practice for four or five days. I mean, I do. I bet if I bet if we systematically looked at Hoop Summit of over and under performers, you probably couldn't find a pattern. I'm, I'm betting. So it's actually it's not so much it, it's but it's is that it mean is objectively worthless. That I would more agree with. It's probably closer to worthless, yeah. When is a... <laughs> he has every incentive to say it's worthless, even if it's not. Right. Do I? Yes. I don't know. I don't ever go to Hoops on it, so... <laughs> no, if it, if it, is, it kind of prompts the question. I always, I always hang out at PIT. I love PIT. That's it my Portsmouth? Oh, yeah, Portsmouth. Yeah, that's What's my better spot. about Portsmouth? Oh, it's just grinders who are just trying to make the like league. The I love that profile, right. yeah. 
It's it's the. Uh, yeah, you've always been drawn to that guy. I know that's the thing. That's my weakness. Yeah. Is it? Do you do it out of vanity? Like you just want to be right about those guys because it's so fulfilling to be the guy who drafts the undraft or brings in the undrafted guy and turns him into a player. I don't know why. I think it's all wrong. Why I like it? It's I just love the story of the you know the the. But you're you're supposed to be a guy not drawn to narrative. I know. That's I'm, you. You're supposed to be the guy who doesn't give a shit about. No, I'm I'm self aware when I'm. When I am being drawn to a narrative, maybe that's my edge. But no, I definitely love the narrative. I but I try to you try to put them in the right context. But yeah, I, I mean, when early when we were at the Rockets, in fact, all the media locally was like, the Rockets just get all these hard playing guys, and then they got no chance at the title, which was pretty true. I mean, and we we banged out the 14th pick, which is like objectively the stupidest thing to do. We did that three or four years in a row. Wait, what did you do? You we got the 14th pick in the draft, like right? Like that was the three Jeremy out of four Lamb years. Kind and, of uh, yeah, uh, it was Lamb, Patrick Patterson, and Royce um, White. No, uh, Royce 15, might have been 16. Right. Yeah, um, no, we had another one in there. Well, Marcus Morris, Marcus Morris. All right. So, and they all turned out to be good players. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just you know none of them are yeah they're probably not stars, but. Um, in evaluating these guys, where are we going with biometrics and psychometrics? Um, a lot, a lot of data being gathered. I don't. I mean, yeah, what are we going to do with it? That's the thing. Like, we feel like we found a few things, but mostly we don't know what we're doing on that. Like, we're we're just gathering data, hoping it tells us something at some point. Um, yeah, I, I know. So. I get space age about this stuff. I just. Yeah, you know, one of the things I was thinking about was okay. So we know we we can now identify five man units that work. What we don't yet know is why. And at what point is the human brain? I don't know about that. Well, like here, I guess here's where I'm going with it. Like, right. like so we have we know about oxytocin, right? This is the the, sure. the cuddle hormone, right? This is yeah. the trust. this is the, the trust. trust. This is the, the chemical in the brain that that, yeah. that determines trust. Right. What do, I mean, first of all, you Trick, could, tricks us into having kids. It's a good, it's a good hormone. I, I, then I've been, Otherwise, there'd be no humans. Yeah. What? Um, but but what, here's a question. What if you? What if you poured that stuff into the facility? Um, I'm sure Vegas has probably tried it. <laughs> so you love your dealer, you know. So you can, so you can stay at the table. Um, I don't know what happened. I think there's actually been studies on, like, free, like, that they haven't synthesized it exactly right. I don't remember. I, I, I mean, would I, you guys have, like, 41 assists a game? We are, We do have 41 assists. You already have 41 assists a game. No, I'm, we have a lot. I mean, we have the, we're going to have the top two players' highest average ever, I think. They're both nearly averaging 10, so... What if you just sort of evaluate players in terms of you showed them videos of... You know, simulations, there at point guard, here's what the floor is looking like at this moment in time, uh, and you can s- measure the oxytocin content in their brain as they're about to make this decision, and presumably those with higher right. Right. It's like levels. like people with natural testosterone. You know, we'll probably, I mean, I, I suspect like Chris Paul is somebody who, you know, I, I, actually, I, I don't I don't want to go there necessarily because trust can manifest itself in any number of ways. Yeah, but, I, would, I would say... We have no idea. <laughs> I do know that we probably have more testosterone. I think that's been studied. But.
what's going on with the defense? I, I think for those of us We're who, pretty excited. Right, because I, I think the book is we knew you guys would be a top three scoring team. I would have taken that back. I had another GM who I, who I love, and I'm not picking, I'm not going to say who, who after we signed Eric and Ryan, he was like, dude, you guys are going to be the best offense ever, but you're going to be 30th and D. You know what? Eric's a much better defender than people realize. Exactly. He, first of all, Ryan, Ryan's been really good this year. Hell. Ryan's been serviceable. Yeah. And you don't need him to be more than serviceable. Correct. But, what I mean, what's happening there? Oh, I'd say a couple things. One, Jeff Bizdelic's done a really good job. Chris is a very good defender, which everyone knows. So we really have taken off when Chris came back. Third, James has always been great at switching, and so we're switching a lot. Well, it's easy. Well... This is where Coach Bizdella comes in. There's easy switching, and then there's with a purpose switching, and and we've gotten to with a purpose switching. I mean, not always, obviously, but I would say to a much much higher percentage than than we have in the past. And and the thing is, we're getting good at it. Like there's, if you're switching a lot, you know, you need to do it in a way that you know you're taking away airspace you're not just like point switching lazy switching none of that so we've gotten to switching with a purpose which has really helped us um what's the most interesting thing you've you've read recently hmm, that's a good question um you know i just read something too oh bill james's new book man from the train is this so, the fiction is this the no this no it's non-fiction it's awesome. So he found, only Bill James would come up with this. So basically what he found, because you know he's into popular crime. Yes. Did you see his last book? Yeah, that was book? the true crime stuff. That was the last book, okay. So during that, and I'm probably bashing the story a little bit, but I'm mostly going to get it right. During that process, they found that there were a bunch of murders in the early 1900s, late 1800s, right in that range, if I'm getting it right. That, like, they started to notice there was sort of a little bit of a pattern. And then they basically found, and I'm not going to give away the book. Wait, where were these murders? All over the country. Oh, this wasn't like a, okay. And basically they found that there was a guy, and they basically solved, like, some crazy number of murders, like 20 plus, for sure, maybe even as high as 30 to 40. They solved, like, all these murders from back then. They found a guy who was just jumping trains in the late 1800s in rural America. They find a rural house to horribly kill. I mean, it's awful. Horribly kill these families. And then at each stop, because there's no there's no National Crime Bureau, there's no anything. So this is like very Dick and Perry and Cold Blood kind of stuff. The only thing that, yeah, there, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, very similar to that, although he didn't do that one. And that was much later, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and... And basically, only the Pinkerton organization had any national presence to re- to even research. And if you wanted to research a murder back then, you had to hire a, an investigator yourself. There was no like, there's no FBI, there's no anything. So this guy, this serial killer, got away with killing. I don't remember the exact number, but it's like he's he, they. I think Bill figured out he's the most prolific serial killer in, in the history of the United States. And basically, it's all from research with him and his daughter over the course of, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, you might like Killers of the Flower Moon. 
Oh, okay. By David Grant. Yeah, it's, it's somewhat similar, and actually kind of the birth of the modern. Oh, uh, uh, serial killer yeah, profile yeah. or something? No, I haven't but, seen that. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's good. No, I mean, so you and I both grew up on those abstracts. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just my collection of eighty-one through eighty-seven paperback annual abstracts is still on my shelf. Absolutely, no, they're worth tattered. a lot of money now. I did see that because I, you know, it's funny. I bought Haberstra one for eighty-six, which was the year he was born. Is that the green one? No, green was eighty-seven. No. Oh, the one with the yeah, grass. Well, no, the one with the that's the grass of the field is eighty-four. Oh, it's 84, okay. Um, I think blue was 86. Okay. I think. There's yellow in there, too. Yeah, yeah yellow was... might have been 87, I think. But, you have, um, like, the paper ones? I didn't get those. Oh, I got the paper ones. Wow. And they're all mildewy from summer camp. Like, they actually, like, are crinkly. My mom wrote my name in the in the inside <laughs> cover. Wow, you're ahead of and, me. Like, the 84 one, I had to, like, tape the binder. Or, like, I had to... I could only get them at, like, Walden Books, and they didn't have the... <laughs> they actually ordered them at Ardmore Books on Roswell. Road and Hammond Drive in Atlanta, like every winter wow. for me, and I huh. get a little phone call from the bookstore, <laughs> which was so cool because like you're 10 years old and getting official business phone calls, and that my book was in. And uh, on your rotary phone, on my rotary phone. <laughs> but yeah, they were. I mean, how influential were they for you? Extremely. I mean, I mean, are you doing what you're doing now without the abstract? I would guess no. No. Tell me about Sloan this year. Hmm. Are you ever going to get tired of doing it? You know, no, because the the students really keep it high energy. So and you're kind of an absentee landlord now? I, I am a little bit, yeah. Uh, they do all the work, and they do an awesome job. And, you know, I'm, I really like how they, you know, many, many kids have gone on to take on a really prominent job like Evan Wash is one of the key people at the NBA League office now and Did he come up, he came up through Sloan yeah he went to Sloan and was one of the leaders of the conference yeah who was it? someone told me in the game a few weeks ago that it, it, the parlor game is who will be the next two or three commissioners and he was on the, the list of somebody's list of he would be one of the next no two he's very young but he's definitely has a chance yeah would you ever want to be commissioner <laughs> I hadn't thought about I mean, it I think you'd be good well, I appreciate that. I think I might not be good. I'm sort of like anti the man a little bit, so that might hurt me. And you actually work for the men. I mean, the definition yeah, no, I, of the job no, is I, I only, I only, dr- I only think of myself as anti. I'm not actually anti the man. Uh, but no, well, I, I, it, it I, I sort of intrigue to your character. <laughs> like, I, I definitely don't like being under the thumb of any, any. Um, that, those are entity. thirty big thumbs. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Last question is something I'm trying to figure out. It, 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 I'm always surprised at how few people have a coherent answer to this one, which is... Okay, wow. I'm going to try to have that. All right, so let's fast forward 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. The NBA has crushed it in China. And I'm not just talking about, oh, there are a lot of Chinese... They're already I mean, doing it. <laughs> well, no, but what, is it, what does that mean? And, and I, I mean, what will it have meant? If the league is succeeding in China, have they figured out the distribution issue what is that going to look like i mean what does the what do you mean by distribution issue how do we get how do we get games to chinese people and get a lot of money for it oh um well i mean they're i mean yao ming taking over the chinese basketball i think is a really good step like he's trying to modernize it get it closer to the nba more and more players from the nba are playing over there 
more money is going to beget better players, um, going to kick off more Chinese players. But ultimately, the league profits by generating revenue mm-hmm. from its broadcasts, mm-hmm. whether that's on a telephone, whether that's on a television. Um, how is that going to happen? Yeah, I mean, probably through Tencent or one of the, you know, the partnerships they already have there. I, I'm going to go with I don't have a coherent answer to your question. It's, it's, <laughs> no, Sorry to say, it's okay. It's just it's it's so interesting, like how few people actually know what success in China looks like, other than hey, there'll be lots of fan interest, or hey, they'll. I the think team- that's true of every industry. Like I think every industry struggles with their China strategy. It seems almost impossible. I know at one point they tried to buy the Chinese Basketball League, and then the I don't know the whole story, but it sounded like the Chinese government stepped in and said no. Oh. How do you, Kevin, how do you come up with some of your NBA stories? Are you doing the micro LSD, micro LSD like they're doing in Silicon Valley to come up with some of your crazy... How do you know I'm not doing macro LSD? I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt uh, and just assume you don't want to actually go crazy. So, um, No, I, I just... You know what? The best stories to me are... Like, how is the NBA like the rest of the world? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, it's not so much what makes it exceptional, which is also a really good way to mine stories, but how is it sort of universal? Like, what, what, what does the game... I mean, that's why I've been so into the, the management theory, vast team culture, you know, the questions you've been asking for the last 10 years, which is, do we look at talent first or structure first? I mean, that's not a basketball question. That's a... Uh, that's not a basketball question. That's a that's a any organization. That's a family question. That's a that's a that could be anything. If um, it's ten years from now, what what are NBA teams doing that is unrecognizable to what we're doing now? Oh, it's a really good one. I do think they'll figure out the biometric thing. I think you guys will have predictive powers when it comes to the body. I actually think it's going to create some real tension because, you know, does a player want to gamble in revealing that, that, that his composition is just not suited to playing 2,100 minutes of basketball for the next eight years? And, and what if you guys have a measure that can basically say, hey, you know what, this player, you know, he's going to have four, we basically know he's going to have somewhere between 2.7 and 4.4 severe knee injuries in the next 12 years of his life based on 2,000 minutes of competitive basketball every year. And so what do we do with that? Because of their hip rotation. Exactly. All, all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so, well, That's and, already coming. Right. I mean, like, yeah. But do they not give up that information? Is it just understood that we don't give physicals anymore? you got to do it sight unseen. And 
um, and do certain players defy that and say, no, no, I actually, because they know their composition is suited. Like, DeAndre Jordan's a perfect example. I was talking about this with Doc the other day. That is the most durable. Have we seen a more durable player per pound in this league in the history of the game? And how much added value does he have? Yeah, LeBron would be the other. And that was the answer that Doc came up with. And what we don't see is the added value of durability. And, you know, we can theorize what what DeAndre can or can't do, but you know that a guy who's 20% less durable better be... Then you have guys like Luis Scola who have like 4,000 injuries and they just say, screw it, I'm playing but, no matter what. Let me ask is that a pain tolerance thing? Is it's got to be. But what if we can measure what it is that Luis when, has? When Luis was with us, basically our medical people would say, well, yeah, he. this other guy's hurt and should be out, but Luis has it worse. <laughs> and he's still playing. But now we but now we quantify yeah. that. Right, right. right. Like yeah. now what does it mean that we can quantify that? You know, Eric was an interesting case because I think he had the reputation earlier in his career that he's just not a guy who's comfortable playing hundred percent. I don't think that makes a guy soft. I just think right. that's you know, I don't like running. Like I, I go running four or five times a week when I'm not hundred percent. it's like I don't know that I want to go. Now granted I don't get paid to run for a living. But you should do podcasts while you're running. Then you can get paid while you're running. We could, Andrew, this is uh, <laughs> running with Brett Brown. I'm not running. No, but Brett Brown. <laughs> um, who does this sort of rocky should, run? He at seems great. You should have him jump in. Like, oh, almost like great. they have the traffic guy jump in on you're, the morning. He is the traffic guy. <laughs> so, but you can't, you can't have your current job. You get to pick. Oh, that's easy. No, I haven't added a constraint yet. i got to add a constraint. Oh, okay, okay. You get to pick your dream job in the NBA, NBA. that makes less than $100,000. Which job are you selecting? Oh, oh God. Oh, man. I better not be doing much work if I'm, if I'm not making much money. So <laughs> there, are, there are many, many jobs in the NBA for no work for less than $100,000. Consultants. Oh, yeah. Consultant. There you go. There you go. Okay. I am a consultant. Genius. Uh, no, you have to be a special advisor is the, special way, advisor. To, is the, way, to, the way to go. So. Um, concierge for... for <laughs> I, I actually, I think that would be it. Like, Golf starter. Yeah. More more like, where do we want to eat after dinner? <laughs> yeah. Like, right after the game, right? Like, that is a wanna, big role on like, our we team. we got an off night in Milwaukee. Where are we going to dinner? There are these... This this is a story. I mean, you probably have done it because you've done everything, Kevin. That... There are these roles like that on every team, but they just randomly fall on someone. It, it could be the trainer like us. It could be, it could be the the video guy. It could be you know you just it could be the equipment manager. Like every team has these like yeah concierge like duties that land randomly to someone, but no one no one actually has a job. Concierge. No, especially like like I think for Atlanta, um, really talented young guy Andy Bursog, who's now back with San Antonio. Right. Um, Great young guy, going to be a good exec in this league. I know right. that, like, again, among the many, many things he did for the Hawks during a couple seasons ago was, you know, they like to eat well after the game. And their right. Bud is a break bread, Spurs right. kind of guy, and Andy was frequently called upon to say, hey, find a good place, right. which I just think is a really kind of fun task among among the menial tasks of daily professional life. Finding a place to eat is one of the more interesting ones. Yeah, because you have to get all the rejection. Because it's like... <laughs> Your job is to come up with a 
bunch of options of which they'll hate all of them probably and just and and reject them. So uh, who does that? I mean, Keith is by the way that guy. Keith, Keith does everything. Is just yeah. probably knows more things than anybody in the league. He somehow worked for us for 20 years, and yet he's also worked for 30 other organizations. So he he's you know he's like Benjamin Button or whatever. He's like and he still looks like he's 25, even though he's I don't want to say his age. So Daryl, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for me. Hey, anytime I can do it at Nate and Al's. Uh, it's a good max and nerves. It's a good. <laughs> it's a good deal. <laughs>